0: The reading is from Philippians chapter four, verses one to nine. "Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you, whom I long, love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Eodia, and I plead with Sintici, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you.
1: Well, thank you very much for reading that. Let's pray. Our loving God, we thank you so much that you have condescended to step into our dark world, to Offer us your son unto death on a cross, and you've invited us to follow him, to take up our cross. Father, what a privilege it is to uh, sit under your word now. And we pray that you would press these words in Philippians 4 deep into our hearts, that we would evermore trust in you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, Romans. Citizens of heaven, lend me your ears, to quote Shakespeare. Um, in the Paul's, uh, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, we've been learning that the inhabitants of Philippi are Roman citizens. Uh, they're far away from home, and yet they are living as though they were from Rome. And sadly, my picture didn't come out, but right in the top left hand corner, uh, is a picture of Rome as well. Christians, we need to understand, don't we, that we are far from home. Our citizenship is in heaven, and where we live is in fact a hostile land. Philippians 2, 7, 15 says that it is a, a world, that it's crooked, uh, that it's uh, a, a warped world. So we need to be on our guard. We need to be alert as Christians because we are on the king's business. Citizens of heaven. That's your purpose here, isn't it? To serve King Jesus. Philippians 1.27 sums up the letter well. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I'll put the literal meaning on the screen. only worthy of the gospel of christ live out your citizenship your citizenship in a hostile land filled with the king's enemies a land lived without reference to the king uh, that's pushed god away we are to live as his citizens and it's a great privilege to be on his majesty's service we're commissioned chapter two again to shine like stars holding out the word of life and paul knows though how tough this is how tough life can be and he's been praying for these citizen soldiers these ambassadors of the king to grow as good citizens of heaven to grow with more love for the king and more love for each other with increasing ability to live for him despite all the storms raging around them despite attacks from the enemy And here in chapter four, verse one, they're told to stand firm as citizens, stand firm in the Lord by putting into practice, verse nine, all that Paul has been teaching and demonstrating. And essentially, they're to stand firm together. Together, striving side by side on the battle lines as a church partners in the gospel with all these pressures facing them they need to really stick together and so paul has been encouraging them to have the mind of christ chapter 2 verse 5 this is an attitude that humbly seeks the interests of others putting them before your own uh, that it affects every aspect of our relationships and at one level that should come easy shouldn't it in 4 verse 1 Paul demonstrates the inevitable romance of the Christian life. He calls them my brothers, my sisters, you who I love, you who I long for. We saw that in chapter one as well in verse eight. I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And here he says, dear friends, dear friends. When I became a Christian, I've entered into a family of love, of affection. And this local church of St. Paul's, um, uh, sorry, this local church are Paul's joy and crown. They're a garland of gladness, of celebration for Paul. Uh, They're his victory wreath that an athlete gets when he wins the prize. It's a proof of his gospel work among them, of his endeavour. He knows that they will stand victorious on the final day. But there is a threat to church life here in Philippi. Under the pressures of life, there are cracks appearing, and two prominent women in the church have fallen out. Oh dear. So, my first point, dear friends, in this hostile land, stand firm by standing together, by standing together, sharing the same mind. It's simple. Life is tough. We cannot afford to be disunited in the local church. And these dear friends are not behaving in the way expected of citizens of heaven. And as a result, the church is suffering. The church is suffering. You know how it is. You're bumbling bumbling along in life. All seems to be okay, And then suddenly someone does something or says something and everything is thrown up in the air. You feel hurt you feel saddened and upset by it and if it isn't put right that situation can fester it can drift and bitterness can creep in and sometimes if it becomes public people can take sides and soon the witness and work of the church is damaged and no church is immune from this you and i we're complicated people uh, we're very different from each other in many ways and and so we need to be realistic about this. And the fact that Paul mentions Ioda and Sintici, or whatever you want to call her, he names them, doesn't he? Which suggests this isn't a minor misunderstanding. They're two well-known members of the church. They're probably in leadership and the conflict was affecting the whole body. And it cannot go on if they want to be servants of the heavenly city. A few weeks, uh, weeks ago, I showed you the tortoise formation of Roman soldiers, and it's a great picture of the church. They have their shields linked side by side, advancing for the gospel. But these two women were divided. They were unable to stand together, maybe even hoping that the other failed. I'll get rid of that picture, but I used to watch a lot of football as a young man and this reminded me of the incident when uh, Blackburn Rovers were playing Spartak Moscow in the Champions League in 1995 and this previous the previous season Blackburn Rovers had won the Premiership and they were now in Europe and it was a very winnable game actually Uh, but they and if they lost it their European ambitions were over but during the match two Blackburn players David Batty and Graham Lasso had an actual fight. And the bitter feud continued for a while during the game. And it affected the whole team. It affected the whole match. And unsurprisingly, they lost. Blackburn Rovers lost. And verse three tells us that these two women used to labor side by side. They contended with Paul battling away for the gospel. And, it's a, and that they were actually wonderful models of what the letter is asking us of Christians. They were a great model of Christian working together. But because of their behavior, the whole team were being affected. And they were beginning to struggle. And peace is needed. And Paul, did you notice, doesn't take sides. He addresses both of them individually and lovingly. Verse 2, I plead with you, Ioda. I plead with you literally i'm begging you i'm on my knees please sort this out it's so important in fact paul says agree in the laws this is a gospel issue he says as i said it's a very realistic issue isn't it we can have very different ideas and views of how we do church and how we do things here and when things don't go according to plan, it can lead to bad feelings. And if we start to air those feelings and, and, and in a wrong way and that bad feelings come about, then it could become bitter and we can start avoiding people. And that can lead to a final disunity. So Paul wants to nip this in the bud. Literally, he wants them to be in the same mind. Imagine that. If you've fallen out with someone, you're told to, to think the same as them. Uh, They're to think the same way and focus on the same gospel goal. And that is an amazing thing to think like your person you've fallen out with. And Paul says, Jesus is Lord. Uh, You're to do this. And you're to adopt all the stuff that we saw in chapters 2, 1 to 5. Forgetting yourself and your own ambitions and promote the other. Forget your attitudes of self and sacrifice, sacrificially love and serve the other. The work you do as co-workers, as partners in the gospel, is far more important than what X has done to you or what you perceive to have done to you. How much would it cost you to lay down your pride, to lay down your hurt and make amends? More than it cost Jesus, perhaps? No, not more than it cost Jesus who laid down his life to bring peace with us and God and peace with one another. Well, this argument of these two women has affected the church. It's become a church matter and the church are to be involved. Did you notice that in verse three? Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Did you see the word help there? This is not heavy-handed condemnation. It recognizes the hard gospel work of these two prominent women, and it calls on the fellow citizens of heaven to help, to help. And these people, their names are written in the book of life. What a wonderful uh, incentive to ensure that peace is restored so they can get back to this gospel work. We're all in this together. We've all got our names uh, in the book of life. Our citizenship in heaven is, is ahead of us. Let's get back together and sort this out. And this true companion is probably a traveling minister visiting Philippi who's been serving with Paul in the past, maybe someone like Luke. But Clement uh, would have been a leader in the church. And he also mentions these co workers. Well, they're to gather around to help these two women find peace and reconciliation. And that means to all of us, as a local church, we should all be involved in peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers, said the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, dear friends, in this hostile land, stand firm by standing together, sharing the same mind. And secondly, dear friends, stand firm by joyfully trusting, in the Lord together. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again: rejoice. Rejoicing in the Lord is not happiness related to passing circumstances, but a deep contentment that trusts in the immovable love of God in all circumstances. When I read this verse, I was reminded of Job actually in the old testament job faces extreme suffering he has plenty of questions for god about righteousness about justice but repeatedly job manages to confess his utter dependence his utter trust in what he knows to be a sovereign god who loves him and is in charge of it all he's a rescuing god job knew it And famously in Job 19, having complained of all that he perceives that God has done to him, he knows it's worth crying out to God because my Redeemer lives, says Job, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. I guess that's what it means to rejoice in the Lord. It comes from this closeness with the Lord, remembering that he is near. And indeed, Paul himself is instructing such rejoicing from the prison cell. Rejoice. Jesus is Lord. He's won. The victory is ours. So a joy-filled church is one where relationships will flourish. And verse five says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And we're back with Eodia and Sintich, aren't we? Uh, and this joy of the Lord will lead to expressing a forbearing, gentle spirit. Expressing a forbearing, gentle spirit. This is confidence in our citizenship, isn't it? Our royal future. That means we can be generous in our attitudes today, to be kind. Now, the world we are living in is a very stressful place. With many demands made on us. But as the world will take note of citizens of heaven uh, behaving patiently and gently, they'll take note of it, shunning the limelight and seeking the good in others. And that's hard for some of us. But gentleness is a mark of genuine discipleship, following our Master who put himself, his glory to one side and suffered to die for others utterly selfless as our hymn earlier was that such an important prayer wasn't it having the mind of Christ jesus may the love of jesus fill me as the waters fill the sea him exalting and self abasing which means uh, making myself really small that's the victory Be- becoming small um, honoring christ and i picked out this uh, in the message The Bible, uh, there's a Bible version called the message It's a paraphrase of the text of the Bible. And this is verse four and five in the message, which helps us think about joy uh, as Christians and being gentle. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is near. And that helps introduce the next part of our passage, verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So this joy in the Lord means replacing anxiety with prayerful trust in the Lord who is near replacing anxiety with prayerful trust that the Lord is near. Well, that doesn't uh, deny the anxieties of life, and some have very real experiences of anxiety. But the joy Paul speaks of is the anchor in every and any circumstance. He knows what times of trouble and uncertainty multiply our feelings of anxiety and stress. And most of us are feeling it at the moment. Um, Life is certainly turbulent, isn't it? Not only COVID-19, but our international news puts us on edge. And uh, we can feel we're under immense pressure, which adds to the normal strains of life, uh, the normal strains of family life, of busy homes, work, or difficult workplace, or no work at all. Um, Not to mention the underlying grief, the sorrow that we might be facing, perhaps sickness, ongoing sin that keeps biting at our heels. And the command comes don't be anxious about anything. And it's hard to swallow, isn't it? Even if we nod, it's through gritted teeth. But Paul here is providing the antidote to anxiety, to those fears that we trem around in our hearts. And actually, I have to admit, to find it quite difficult to prepare this sermon. I felt quite a hypocrite with with an anxious heart. But Paul is saying such amazing words, true words. In every situation, by prayer, by petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So simple. But it's so amazing how we so easily forget this. We fail to do it, and I'm speaking from experience. The amount of time we chase after those anxieties and concerns and ignore the God who's in charge of it all. Just keep going, worrying about it. And I'm even more amazed, actually, not only at my lack of doing it, but also my amazement when, when I finally get round to praying about these things, about the peace that it gives me. It's extraordinary. The relief that comes and the realisation of why aren't I doing this more? One writer asks this, when was the last time you prayed explicitly and at length over the things that worry you, that trouble you, that plague you? Did you take them out and recount them to God? One by one, laying your burdens before him time it's spending time time alone being still before your god that is what you need we're fools aren't we when we don't pray and i don't mean long eloquent theologically packed holy prayers but simple, heartfelt, honest, talking to God prayers. Talking about what's going on and what's worrying you. And surely this is why Paul has added that phrase, the Lord is near. Yes, it's an encouragement that the Lord will one day soon return and take us home to our heavenly city, our ultimate goal. But it's also and more so a reminder that the Lord is walking beside you Every moment of the day, and the psalmist knows this in Psalm 91 and in Psalm 42. The psalmist knows that he dwelt, he lived life in the shelter of the most high God, the Almighty God was his refuge and fortress. He knew it and he said it. We can trust in this God by his spirit who the Lord has given to us by his, through his death and resurrection and through coming to faith in him. His spirit at work in us, the Lord Almighty, we're sheltering under his wings. So we pray because the Lord is near. We turn to him and we speak our hearts. Beautiful. And we're told to pray with thanksgiving, verse 6. Thanking God for the for the gospel, for the status that he's given us as those in Christ, dwelt by the Holy Spirit. All that Jesus has achieved for us, which in itself is a great comfort for those middle of the night prayers, thanking him for Jesus and his cross and what he secured for us. The Lord is near, which means verse seven, not necessarily that our prayers will be answered, in the way that we want them to be answered. That we will be quickly lifted out of those struggles and despairing situations that we're in. But that as we face those trials and difficulties, we will know the peace of God guarding our hearts and our minds. It's a beautiful phrase in verse seven, isn't it? The peace of God guarding our hearts. It brings to mind those soldiers who no doubt guarded Paul round his prison cell because by his Holy Spirit, the Lord is near. He's involved with us. And yes, we can think of peace as this inner feeling and it can be that. But it's so much more. The Lord is granting us this Old Testament shalom, all encompassing peace, all giving us wholeness and completeness. This richness, the way we can rejoice in the Lord always and say it again, re-rejoice. The well-being of ourselves, of our, of our church family of St Paul's and the community around us It's a peace that restores relationships, Iodia and Sintichi. It's a peace that transcends our our understanding. We we can't grasp how amazing it is. We pray for a relationship. We think that's impossible. And then suddenly the Lord deals with it. And we can use all the techniques we like, all the theories and counseling sessions, which in themselves can be so helpful. But yet it's nothing compared to the peace of the Lord that transcends all understanding. That he places that God around our hearts. This child is mine. I love them. I will protect them. They are in the shadow of my wings. My citizenship is in heaven. And I'm experiencing that today by the grace of of the Lord God who protects me. Well, the people in Philippi knew all about protection. They had that Roman garrison around their town. They made sure that the. Pax Romana, this, this Roman peace would, would be instilled in the town and in the region, that it would be maintained. And the planning and all the power of the Roman Empire was on their doorstep to protect them. And yet, says Paul, the peace and protection of God is far, far, far better than that. Far more effective. It guards your hearts. Your minds, your emotions, your thoughts, your moral choices, all those things in Christ, it restores us as a, as broken people to him and to one another. And gives us that daily reliance on the Heavenly Father that loves us. And so we pray daily. I wanted to talk about verse eight and nine. I've, I've run out of time, but that's part of it, isn't it? This wonderful list. In verse eight, of of all the, of having the mind of Christ, of thinking these wonderful virtues uh, because of Jesus, all those things that Jesus has given us in our world—that's good and right and and lovely, beautiful things. Dwell on those things, turn them over in your hearts. They belong to the Lord, and we we rejoice in them. We rejoice in them. So as we close, um, I wonder today um, what you're feeling. Um, I wonder how much you're struggling. Are you lacking this peace that only the Lord can bring? The peace of the Lord, is it missing? The peace that Paul's been talking about and demonstrating in his own life as he sits in his prison cell and he rejoices in the Lord rejoices in the advance of the gospel rejoices in all the men and women boys and girls hearing about Jesus well the disciples verse 9 are told to that the church are told to, to look at Paul to, to mimic to to learn from him to learn from his words and we are to do the same um maybe we're not there maybe this is an obedience issue uh, maybe it's about your thought patterns or Perhaps there's a relationship that is broken, that you're not sorting out. It's not working and it hasn't been working for some time. You're keeping that person at arm's length. You're not in relationship. What, What is troubling your heart? Well, I'm sure there's all sorts of things in your heart at the moment. But there's great news for you today. Because the key to finding that missing piece is the Lord Jesus. He is the one who leads us gently by the hand to the God of peace. And when we have the God of peace, we have the peace of God. And it's beautiful. And it deals with all that deep stuff in my heart. It restores it and makes it new. So let's pray that the God of peace will be with us. I'm going to lead us now before we go to our statement of faith. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for your fatherly care and love of us, that you want us to experience you close to us. You want us to bring our troubled hearts to you. You want us to be restored to you, and you want us to be restored to one another, for we are citizens of heaven. We have a glorious future. Lord, our crown, our, uh, our, our garland awaits us father we we praise you we rejoice in the lord jesus and teach us to rejoice more and more to be growing in confidence in you uh, that our relationships would be restored and lord that we wouldn't be anxious but in everything uh, bring our lives our prayers before you